Chapter Three of Interrupted by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three Out in the World. I am not sure that I would, even if I could, give you a detailed account of the days which followed. What is the use of trying to live pain over again on paper? Yet some people need practice of this sort to enable them to have any idea of the sorrows of their hearts. I wonder if you ever went through a large, elegantly furnished house, from room to room, and dismantled it, packing away this thing as far as possible from curious eyes, soiling the velvet or the satin or the gilding of it, perhaps, with bitter tears while you worked, marking that thing with a ticket containing two words which had become hateful to you, for sale, hiding away some special treasure in haste, lest the unexpected sight of it might break a heart that was just now bearing all it could. Has such experience ever been yours? Then you know all about it, and can in imagination follow Claire Benedict from attic to basement of her father's house, and no words of mine can make the picture plainer. If it is something you have never experienced, or even remotely touched, you may think you are sympathetic, and you may gravely try to be, but nothing that printed words can say will be apt to help you much in realizing the bitterness of such hours. Isn't it a blessed thing that it is so? Suppose we actually bore on our hearts the individual griefs of the world. How long would our poor bodies be in breaking under the strain? He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It took the infinite to do this. Through all the miseries of the two weeks during which the process of dismantling went on, Claire Benedict sustained her character for self-reliance and systematic energy. She stood between her mother and the world. She interviewed carmen and porters and auctioneers, and talked calmly about the prices of things, the thought of selling which made her flesh fairly quiver. She superintended the moving of heavy furniture, and the packing of delicate glasses and vases after they had been chosen from the home treasures at private sale. She discussed with possible purchasers the value of this or that carpet, and calculated back to see how long it had been in use, when the very bringing of it into the home had marked an anniversary which made her cheek pale and her breath come hard as she tried to speak the date. There were some who tried to shield her from some of these bitter experiences. There were kind offers of assistance, made, it is true, in the main, by those who were willing but incompetent. But Claire was in the mood to decline all the help she could. Do her best, there was still so much help actually required that it made her blush to think of it. There are a hundred things they want to know she would explain to those who begged her not to tear her heart and wear her strength by walking through the rooms with those who had come to purchase, possibly, certainly to see and to ask. There are a hundred things they want to know that only Mama or I can tell them. It shall never be Mama, and I would rather face them and wait on them alone than to creep out at call like an ashamed creature to answer their demands. There is nothing wicked about it, and I ought to be able to bear what others have had to. Nevertheless, it was cruel work. She knew, when the two weeks of private sale were over, 
and she stood battered and bruised in soul over the forlorn wrecks of the ruined home that she had not understood before what a strain it was to be. She had almost borne it alone. It was true, as she had said, that it must be either Mama or herself. Those who in all loving tenderness had tried to help realized this after the first day. I don't know, really. I will ask Miss Benedict, was the most frequent answer to the endless questions. Dora's pitiful attempts to help bear the burden seemed to give her sister more pain than anything else. And one day, when to the persistent questioning of a woman in a cotton velvet sack, about the first value of a Persian rug of peculiar pattern and coloring, Dora dropped down on a hassock in a burst of tears and sobbed. Oh, I don't know how much it cost, but I know Papa bought it when he came from Europe the day I was fourteen. Oh, Papa, Papa, what shall I do? Claire came from the next room, calm, pale, cold as a statue, just a swift touch of tenderness for Dora as she stooped over her, saying, Run away, darling, I will attend to this. Then she was ready to discuss the merits, possible and probable, of the Persian rug or of anything else in the room. When the woman in the sham velvet bunglingly tried to explain that she did not mean to hurt poor Dora's feelings, she was answered quietly, even gently, that no harm had been done, that Dora was but a child. When the woman was gone without the Persian rug, the price having been too great for her purse, Claire went swiftly to the sobbing Dora and extracted a promise from her that she would never, no never, attempt to enter one of the public rooms again during those hateful two weeks, and she kept her promise. The next thing, now that the private sale had closed and Claire could be off guard, was house hunting. Not in the style of some of her acquaintances, with whom she had explored certain handsome rows of houses for rent, feeling secretly very sorry for them that they had to submit to the humiliation of living in rented houses and be occasionally subject to the miseries of moving. Claire Benedict had never moved but once, which was when her father changed from his handsome house on one avenue to his far handsomer one on a grander avenue, which experience was full of delight to the energetic young girl. Very different was this moving to be. She was not looking for a house, she was not even looking for a handsome half of a double house, which wore the air of belonging to one family. Nor could she even honestly say she was looking for a flat, because they must, if possible, get along with even less room than this. To so low an estate had they fallen in an hour. You do not want me to linger over the story, nor try to give you any of the shuddering details. The rooms were found and rented, Claire adding another drop to her bitter cup by seeking out Judge Simons as her security. They were moved into, not until they had been carefully cleaned and brightened to the best of the determined young girl's ability. Two carpets had been saved from the wreck for mother's room and the general sitting room, and a pitiful, not to say painful, effort had been made to throw something like an air of elegance around Mama's room. She recognized it the moment she looked on it, with lips that quivered, but with a face that bravely smiled as she said, Daughter, you have done wonders. She wanted instead to cry out, Woe is me, what shall I do? This little mother, used to sheltering hands, 
had been a constant and tender lesson to Claire all through the days. She had not broken down and lain down and died, as at first Claire had feared she would. Neither had she wept and moaned as one who would not be comforted. She had leaned on Claire, it is true, but not in a way that seemed like an added burden. It was rather a balm to the sore heart to have Mama gently turn to her for a decisive word, and depend on her advice somewhat as she had depended on the father. It had not been difficult to get a promise from her to have nothing to do with the dreadful sales. No, dear, she had said quietly when Claire made her plea, I will not try to help in that direction. I know that I should hinder rather than help. You can do it all much better than I. You are like your father, my child. He always took the hard things so that I did not learn how. The very work with which the mother quietly occupied herself was pathetic. It had been their pleasure to see her fair hands busy with the bright wools and silks and velvets of fancy work, such as the restless young schoolgirl was too nervous to care for, and the energetic elder daughter was too busy to find time for. It had been their pride to point to many delicate pieces of cunning workmanship and say they were mamas. So different from most other mothers, Dora would say, fondly and proudly. But on the morning that the sale commenced, the mother had gone over all the wools and silks and canvas and packed them away with that unfinished piece of crimson, and thereafter her needle, though busy, took the stitches that the discharged seamstress had been wont to take. Claire found her one day patiently darning a rent in a fast-breaking tablecloth, which had been consigned by the housekeeper to the drawer for old linen. Scarcely anything in the history of the long, weary day touched Claire so much as this. Such power have the little things to sting us. Some way we make ourselves proof against the larger ones. There had been very little about the experiences of these trying weeks that had to be brought before the family for discussion. They were spared the pain of argument. There had not been two minds about the matter for a moment. Everything must go. The creditors must be satisfied to the uttermost farthing if possible. That is a matter of course. Never mind what the law allowed them. They knew nothing about the law, cared nothing for it. They would even have given up their keepsakes and their very dresses, had there been need, and they could have found purchasers. But there had been no need. Disastrous as the failure had been, it was found that there was unencumbered property enough to pay every creditor and have more furniture left than they knew what to do with, besides a sum of money. So small indeed, that at first poor Claire, unused to calculating on such a small scale, had curled her lip in very scorn, and thought that it might as well have gone with the rest. There came a day when they were settled in those ridiculously small rooms, with every corner and cranny in immaculate order, and had reached the disastrous moment when they might fold their hands and do nothing. Alas for Claire! If there was one thing that she had always hated, it was to do nothing. She was almost glad that it was not possible for her to do this. The absurd little sum set to her credit in the First National Bank, of which her father had for so many years been a part, would barely suffice to pay the ridiculously small rent of these wretched rooms 
and provide her mother with food and clothing. She must support herself. She must do more than that. Dora must be kept in school. But how was all this to be done? The old question. She had puzzled over it a hundred times for some poor woman on her list. She thought of them now only with shivers. Executive ability? Dear, yes, she had always been admired for having it. But it is one thing to execute when you have but to put your hand in your pocket for the money that is needed for carrying out your designs. Or, if there chance not to be enough therein, trip lightly up the great granite steps of the all-powerful bank, ask to see Papa a minute, and come out replenished. It was quite another thing when neither pocket nor bank had aught for her, and the first snows of winter were falling on father's grave. She had one talent, marked and cultivated to an unusual degree. She had thought of it several times, with a little feeling of assurance. Everybody knew that her musical education had been thorough in the extreme, and that her voice was wonderful. She had been told by her teachers many a time that a fortune lay locked up in it. Now was the time for the fortune to come forth. She must teach music. She must secure a position in which to sing on a salary. Claire Benedict of two months ago had been given to curling her lip just a little over the thought that Christian young men and women had to be paid for contributing their voices to the worship of God on the Sabbath day. The Claire Benedict of today, with that great gulf of experience between her and her yesterday, said with a sob, that she would never sneer again at any honest thing which women did to earn their living. She herself would become a salaried singer. Yes, but how to bring it to pass? Did you ever notice how strangely the avenues for employment, which have been just at your side, seem to close when there is need? More than once had representatives of fashionable churches said wistfully to Claire, If we could only have your voice in our choir! Now a little exertion on her part served to discover to her the surprising fact that there were no vacancies among the churches where salaried singers were in demand. Yes, there was one, and they sought her out. The offered salary would have been a small fortune to her in her present need, but she could not worship in that church. She would not sing the praises of God merely for money. There was earnest urging, but she was firm. There was a specious hint that true worship could be offered anywhere, but Claire replied, But your hymns ignore the doctrine on which I rest my hope for this life and for the future. It was a comfort to her to remember that when she mentioned the offer to her mother and sister, and said that she could not accept it, her mother had replied promptly, Of course not, daughter. And even Dora, who was at the questioning age, inclined to toss her head a little bit at isms and creeds, and hint at the need for liberal views and a broader platform, said, What an idea! I should have supposed that they would have known better. But it was the only church that offered. Neither did Claire blame them. It was honest truth. There was no opening. A year ago, six months ago, why, even two months ago, golden opportunities would have awaited her but just now every vacancy was satisfactorily filled. Why should those giving satisfaction and needing the money be discharged to make room for her who needed it no less? Claire was no weak, unreasoning girl 
who desired any such thing. As for two months ago, at that time the thought of the possibility of ever being willing to fill such a place had not occurred to her. End of chapter 3 Recording by Tricia G.